back with you guys this week. I got to tell you, though, I got a little annoyed. <laughs> Starting about Sunday, about 11.45. Oh, Daryl this, Daryl that. Such a good job. Blah, 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 blah. Why can't you be more like Daryl? I wish Daryl would preach more. Blah, blah. No, we are, uh, on, a, on a serious note, we are blessed to have a man with his uh, depth and experience and passion for God's word and his people like that in our church. And um, I don't know who idea, whose idea it was to hire him, but whoever it was. Uh, thank you, Daryl. Uh, yeah, it's probably Cian's idea. <laughs> uh, Daryl is a great coach for all of us. Um, uh, he's, he's an invaluable resource in so many ways, and so I'm thankful that he was able to preach. And I'm glad you guys were so blessed. I heard he did great, and I knew you would be. I'm Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're starting our new series on Psalm 119. It's called Loving God's Word, but I also have a subtitle, Open Heart Surgery. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a little bit of introduction this morning about why we're studying this psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. <clears throat> it's about loving God's word. It's kind of like, if you would, the rapper's delight of loving God's word. You know, it's really long and, and repetitious, but there's a lot of good things about it. Um, it's really a long song. So in many respects, it's almost like, I want you to think of it like Hendel's Messiah. It's almost a symphony about God's word. Uh, it looks at God's word from so many different angles. And some believe it was written by Daniel. Some believe it was written by Nehemiah or Ezra. But many, including me, uh, believe that it was written by David. And it was written over a course of a long period of time. It wasn't written like, like one weekend. It looks like it was a type of thing where he would write, whoever the author was, I think it was David, it could have been someone else. They would write a little bit and then they would write some more and then they would write some more over the course of some time. And what we find when we look at Psalm 119 is it really is a guide, a key to developing a heart for God and his word. Scripture is mentioned in 171 out of the 176 verses that are in Psalm 119. In many places, it's mentioned two or three times in each verse. There are a bunch of different words he uses for scripture. My, your laws, your judgments, your precepts. Your commandments, your way, your past. There's about eight or nine different synonyms for God's word in Psalm 119 littered throughout the 176 verses. It truly is an instructional guide for us that shows us the correct heart attitude that we as Christians, if we say that we're Christians, must have toward God's word. And as we go through this, you will have your heart opened and exposed for what it is. I want you to think of this study as a picture of God standing over you, literally ready to do spiritual open heart surgery. And the goal will not be, <clears throat> unlike we did with Jesus in Genesis and all those things, although that was a great study, the goal is not to increase your knowledge, but to give you some reason for deep introspection. And my hope is that it wrecks us and then rebuilds us from the foundation into a relationship with Heavenly Dad as individuals and as a church from the ground up. Because let's face it, guys, 
Most of us have built our personal relationships and connections to Heavenly Dad from a selfish foundation. Look what God has done for me. Look where I was and where I am now. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but it seems many times the focus of our relationship is the work that God has done in our heart and life, when in reality the foundation should not be what He has done, but who He is. Because who He is is the reason those things are done in our life. I pray that this series helps us as a church develop a right heart attitude before God. Honesty with Him and His Word. And we will learn throughout the process of this, the first thing we will learn is how to be a real worshiper. Not this modern, touchy-feely carrot on a stick that many seem to be chasing. Where we run after this experience, this thrill because the songs were so good, Or the emotion was so high, and and boy, that was a great worship time. And it seems like many of us are worshiping as we chase the carrot of experience. That's the first thing it will teach you. We will also learn how to really love His Word. And not in a cliche Facebook post sort of way. And I'm not judging anyone that puts verses on Facebook. I'm not. Well, I am, but I'm not. And so, I'm not, seriously. But my point is, we need to learn how to actually love God's Word instead of just being amused by it. How to more frequently, we'll also learn how to more frequently spend quality, effective, transformational time with Him. And in the process of this, this will be the most vulnerable sermon series I've ever preached. Because I will be sharing with you intimate, vulnerable, embarrassing details about how studying Psalm 119 changed my heart, my mind, and my relationship with Heavenly Dad and His Word. I will share many excerpts from my own personal journey during those times 23 years ago. I was a young, arrogant, highly talented youth pastor. (laughs) And it wrecked me. It destroyed who I thought I was. Psalm 119 has 22 eight-verse divisions. We will probably look at like 11, then take a break and do another series, and then do the other 11 after that. So we're not going to do it 22 weeks in a row. But we'll probably do like 11, maybe 12 weeks, and then take a break, and then do some more. And the reason for that is it's pretty intense stuff. Each division is named after a Hebrew letter in the alphabet. So our first week of open heart surgery will start with the stanza called Aleph. And I've titled this message, Diligent Worship. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's also the number one. So the very first thing the author of Psalm 119 addresses in Aleph, number one, stanza one, eight verses within that stanza, is what obstructs real, true, transformational worship. Meaning, this is the most important first step in understanding how important God's Word is in our life. So with that being said, we're going to look at the first aspect of this, which is eradicating shame. Shame that comes from ignorance. Ignorance to what the Word of God says about our life. Look at the first few verses. 
Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. You know, as I read this, I just get chills about what it was doing to me when I first read it as a 25, 26-year-old pastor. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. That one really wrecked me. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. In other words, oh, I wish my ways were forced to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into your commandments. Here's an example of some open heart surgery for you. This is for me from my journal. I have to admit, I have very rarely in my life committed to seek God with my whole heart. I confuse emotional experience for commitment to God. How can, I be, how can I pretend to be so committed, so emotional over something that is even a big part of my daily schedule? As I study Psalm 119, I will pray specifically that God gives me a supernatural desire to worship God through diligent inquiry into his word so I can, I can actually get to know who I am worshiping. And what was going on in my heart at the time was this. I was chasing those moments where I felt close to God. Sometimes it was a song. Sometimes it was a sermon. Sometimes it was a beautiful mountain. And what I learned after this reading Psalm 119, the first eight verses, is I knew more about the song and the mountain than I did the one about who made those things. And I said... My worship is a joke. I mean, at this point, you know, understand, I'm not like an accountant or a lawyer. I'm a pastor. And I realize I shouldn't be here. So one of the biggest obstacles in a vibrant relationship with Heavenly Dad is shame due to biblical ignorance. Shame born out of places in our life that don't measure up to Scripture because we don't know what God's Word says or even we know it, but we don't want to admit that we don't measure up. And I think you know what I'm talking about. There are things in our life that we know don't measure up to Scripture, but we haven't studied those yet, so I don't have to deal with them right now. It happens when our exposure to God's Word isn't the dominant guiding priority in our life decisions. Even if you know part of God's word, but you're not in it very often, its effect begins to wane. It happens, this shame thing, this shame that is a barrier and a boundary to our worship of God, it happens when when God's word is not a frequent presence in our daily life. When diligent inquiry into the scripture is missing. Look at some of the words that are in this passage I just read. The first one is undefiled. It means without blemish. The Hebrew word, without blemish, complete, full, perfect, sincere. And in this passage, what it really focuses on is sincere, sincerity. Blessed are those who are sincere. Another word is the word blessed, constructed as an interjection. How fulfilled Do you ever have that feeling like your worship, like it should be more fulfilling than it really is? And sometimes we even fake it. In some churches, people raise their hand and they sway. 
Some of them don't have any rhythm when they do it, and it's really annoying. <laughs> but you follow what I'm saying? Like, we work so hard to, I've got to have, today's been bad, I have to have a fulfilling experience in my worship. What the scripture says here is fulfillment does not come from the experience. There's another word, keep, who keep his commandments. It means to protect, to maintain, to obey, to observe, to preserve. And these are things, like for example, if you are hired to guard something, you can't do it if you're only yet near it like once every three weeks. Like if you hire a security guard and they show up 40% of the time, I got news for you, what they're guarding is not safe. And that's a lot of times what happens with us with the word of God. I love this next word. This is the this is the, the focal point, the keystone of the message. Seek. To tread frequently. To worship as a result of diligent inquiry. That's what the word seek means in this passage. It means that we are taking the time, the effort, the energy to really understand what it's saying, to who it is saying it, why and how. That's why normally when we do a study, we do what? We look at the history the theology, and then after we understand the historical application and the theological application, then we can look at the devotional application. It's harder in Psalm 119 because it's a poem. But that's really why we take that much time to look at those things. We have to seek God through diligent inquiry of the Scripture. And then the last word is ashamed, to be disappointed or delayed, become dry. Anybody can relate to that? See, Disappointment is when your worship is like cotton candy. Man, that tasted good and it's already gone. It's unfulfilling and you're still hungry. You're not satisfied. You're not fulfilled. As a matter of fact, you know, there are times when we think we have a good worship experience and it feels good. And it's gone so fast, we feel guilty about the fact that we don't have that feeling anymore. we got to get rid of that. We have to eradicate shame in our lives if we are really going to understand what worship is about. So that's part one, eradicating shame. Part two, diligent inquiry. This is how you eradicate shame. You ready for some more open heart surgery? This is day two of my study of Psalm 119, 23, 24 years ago. My worship of God is such a joke. It's surfacy. It's showy. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. It troubles me so much. I do not know where to begin except by simply making two efforts. I long to not be ashamed, and boy, I was ashamed as I was reading this. And number two, I long to know what to worship about God and why. I want to know why it should be so fulfilling. I want to know more about who he is, not just what he has done. Does that make sense? I want to know why he's so great. And at this time, as I was studying this, I was so overcome with, with disappointment and who I was, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, as a man. Because I was stuck with a stark realization that I 
did not worship God through diligent inquiry. I worshiped him through experience. Here's the second part of that open heart surgery. To do this, I must engage in diligent inquiry. This will be a tough journey with moments of failure. But hey, that's what grace is for, right? The important thing for me isn't perfection, but direction. That last part is very important because I don't want to preach this and have you leave feeling guilty. I want you to feel exposed. I want you to feel naked. I want you to feel inadequate. But I also want you to recognize the key is not perfection, but direction. Okay. So, those two journal entries show you my state of mind as I first read this and started studying it. I hope you can relate to what I'm sharing. Because I just kind of bore my heart. This is my journal. I just kind of bore my heart to you that as a 25, 26-year-old man, I was not a very good Christian. And I was getting paid to be one. <laughs> I mean, really? <sighs> okay. Psalm 119, 7 and 8. I will praise you with uprightness. This is, this is right after he just talks about being ashamed. I wish my way were forced to be what you say. I want to know more. I want to seek you through diligent inquiry. Then he says, as a result of diligent inquiry, as a result, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. In other words, I could praise you with confidence. When I learn your righteous judgments, I can praise you with confidence when I worship you through diligent inquiry, when I learn about your judgments, when I learn about your truth, when I learn about your law, when I learn about your word, if I learn it, then I can worship you with uprightness of heart, with confidence. I will keep your statutes. Oh, don't forget me. Don't forsake me utterly. There's a word in this passage that just blew me away when I was studying this. It's the word praise in Hebrew. It's pronounced yadah. It means, the word praise means to physically throw a stone or shoot an arrow at a target or away from a specific spot or to make a specific confession. So the author of Psalm 119 uses this archery word, this precise word, this honed in, this, this specific word to describe to describe praise. It is literally, he says, I will literally throw my worship at a specific mark, at a specific target, at a specific place, like an archer with an arrow. I will shoot it to a specific thing. See, you can only do that when you have what? A target. And you can only have a target when the target is defined. <clears throat> Be like somebody with an arrow giving you a bow and arrow and say, shoot. And you say, at what? I don't know, just shoot. That's probably not going to end well. <laughs> That's exactly what our worship is like many times. We are told to worship, we are told to praise God, and we're not given enough information, knowledge about His Word to know exactly what to shoot our praise at. See, our worship should be shot forth. It should be aimed. It should be directed. It should not be just this... Just throw it up there and see what sticks. It'd be like this. 
Can you imagine like in the Olympics, you know, they have archery. What did they call it archery or something else? Like, okay. There's a commentator, right? Can you imagine if the archers are in the Olympics and they weren't judged on accuracy? But just how beautiful the shot looked. Man, Steve, that was a nice shot. That arrow is beautifully crafted. Perfect balance. The point is sharp. The feathers are fine. It flies through the air so well, so smoothly, so effortlessly. What a great production. It's stunning how beautiful that arrow is as it flies through the air so perfectly aimed at nothing in particular. (laughs) So, you know, the guy that gets the gold medal, man, when he shot that arrow, it did not wobble a bit. It was just beautiful as the lights followed it. They did it in slow motion. Yep, you're right. It did not wobble. It flew perfectly. Forget about the fact that it landed in the stands. That's okay. (laughs) It was a beautiful shot. Do you see how praise, as defined in this passage, is dependent on your worship having a specific target? Can you see how not having a specific target can cause problems in worship? All over this country, we have churches that worship without a target. And can you see that you cannot have a specific target without first learning the Scripture through diligent inquiry? See, worshiping God without familiarity with His Word is like chasing a spiritual carrot that's always out of reach. Maybe you can get close enough to smell it. Maybe you get close enough that it swings back and bops you on the head. But you never quite get to eat it. It's seeking, here's what it is, worship without diligent inquiry is seeking to fulfill our appetite for connection with God without being willing to cook the meal first. We depend upon a song or relationship or lighting or staging or production to produce an experience or feeling that we hope will connect us to Heavenly Dad at a deeper level. You see how silly that is? In the end, it's like cotton candy. Tasting good for that moment, but produces no lasting transformation. See, biblical worship, this is important, listen to me. Biblical worship is not subjective. It is objective. Do you see the difference? Biblical worship is not just something that can be done with no specific reason. There should be a reason. Always, there should be an objective target. And that target is specific and informed. Meaning there is a specific target for our worship of God. And that's where that archery word comes in. That archery picture comes in. Because to worship God correctly, this is what Psalm 119 verses 1 through 8 is teaching us. For us to worship God correctly, to get that really fulfilling experience with Heavenly Dad that we so crave To worship God in that way, accurately, precisely, 
we must constantly be learning about him. This is why we must be exposed to his word continually, intellectually, with discipline. Yes, I said it, discipline. You like that one? You like that one, Bill? Discipline? Our worship must be founded upon diligent inquiry into Scripture, not experience chasing. I can tell you right now, you can spend a lot of money on an experience and it can really feel real, but it will not transform you. The Word of God is what transforms you. Not a song. Not a stage. Not incredibly talented musicians. They are powerless to transform you. Our goal for worship should be this. Transformation through diligent inquiry, not emotional experience. Now, emotions can be a byproduct of that. I'm not saying that if you feel emotional about worship that you're out of line. I'm not saying that. Let me give you an example of how emotion does work. When emotion is a welcomed byproduct of actually hitting the mark. On Easter Sunday, when Al was singing, I am redeemed. The whole message, the whole service was about resurrection, redemption. And we had a mindset because we came into that setting and many of us understood resurrection, redemption. We'd heard about it through the other songs, through what was being said, how Daryl prayed. And then Al gets up, a guy who really, I could trust, he's a friend of mine. He understands what being redeemed means. Not just because he's experienced it, because he's read about it and he knows about it. And as he's singing that song, he has a specific target. I am singing about redemption. And we, as an emotional byproduct of hitting the mark, felt that, did we not? And for some of you, I saw it. It was transformational. Not because Al was like Joe Cocker, but in tune. That's not why it was transformational. You know why? It's because we were hitting the mark through diligent inquiry. We made a decision as a team. We want to remind people about redemption and resurrection. That is why Megan is such a great worship director. Yes, she's a good musician. And yes, we have, but you know why she's better than most? Because she spends a lot of time each week looking at the passage, looking at my notes, telling me where my notes are wrong, <laughs> and then going through and not picking songs that the band is good at, which a lot of people do. Boy, this song will really be good because we're really good at it. She picks songs sometimes that the band might struggle with. Why? Because she wants to make sure they hit the mark. And the mark is not dominated by how well the music will sound. The mark is dominated by what are we learning through our diligent inquiry of the scripture. That's why Al's song was so powerful. Over the next several weeks, we will attempt to inspire you and equip you for your worship through diligent inquiry. Because here's what we know through today's passage. We know that true worship starts with diligent inquiry into God's word. And that will never happen until we first fall in love with his word. Question. You guys are part of Grace Life. We're about seven months into this thing. 
Are you ready to be a church that moves past shame and inadequate, impaired, misguided, misdirected worship? Are you ready to become a church in love with God's word, demonstrated by our diligent inquiry? Yes, that means you will be challenged to adjust your schedules. Because mine surely adjusted. Are you ready to be a church with worship that is guided and directed by what we learn from that diligent inquiry? It's a step we must take individually and corporately. Trust me when I tell you, the result will be transformation in your life and in the life of this precious young little church that we've started called Grace Life. This study did not make me comfortable. There were a couple of times where I wanted to quit and move to Philippians. <laughs> Can't you tell me how much you like it when you remember me? <laughs> but I stuck through it. 19 months. This sermon series will last 19 months. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but guys, we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to be wrecked. And we're going to come away thinking on Monday, I got some things I got to change. Because we're going to learn what it means to worship God. Not by chasing an experience, but through diligent inquiry into the power, the dynamo, the genesis of transformation, which is the Word of God. Heavenly Dad, make us go in your way. Make it natural for my heart to understand your Word. Help me to tread frequently. Help me learn what it means to worship through diligent inquiry. I don't want to chase experiences anymore. I want experiences to chase me as I follow you. I'll bring you more than a song.